Hello there. Thank you for joining us here on the Forties in the Church podcast, where we talk about touch, time, transparency, and teamwork. Four ways males who are attracted to the same sex can experience intimacy with their male brothers within the church. I'm your host, Richard Padilla. And today we're going to have Professor Tonis with us talking about the four T's. But before we get there, I want to lay some groundwork for the four T's. That way, if anyone's new to the podcast, they could sort of understand um, where the four T's fits in the context of a Christian life. The four T's believes that homosexuality is a result of the fall, just like other sins. A Christian who struggles with homosexuality can struggle with this for many reasons. The purpose of the four T's in the church is to address the needs of these Christians, not necessarily figure out why they struggle with homosexuality and make them straight. As I study, as I study the topic of masculinity, American male friendships, church community, sexuality, and listen to the many stories of those that struggle with homosexuality, I have found four recurring themes that show up. These words seem to be very important to Christians who struggle with homosexuality. And really, these words are needs all humans have and should experience on a daily basis, and that is touch, time, transparency, and teamwork. Within transparency, there are some subcategories. There's spiritual transparency, emotional transparency, and physical transparency. And when I talk about physical transparency, that's when I talk about the sticky situations of those that struggle with same-sex attraction have to deal with in regards to attraction, lust, and situations that we are sort of confused about and what to do when we're in those, such as the locker room. I believe for Christians who struggle with homosexuality, the best place for them to be loved and cared for and known and to be known is in the church, in Christian community, in deep, healthy friendships, same-sex friendships. The complex thing about Christians who struggle with homosexuality is that we've sexualized our own gender without our own doing. We didn't make a choice. It almost seemed like it was put upon us. We didn't make a conscious choice to be attracted to the same sex. It's actually a very painful process and even realization that we have to deal with this. A lot of Christians who struggle with this even ignore it for years because they don't want to deal with it. So the very community in which we can experience God's healing, redemption, love, discipline is the very thing that is lustful to us. So when I'm thinking, oh, I want to go be loved by my male guy friends and and experience a Christian walk with them, it's also a place of pain because then all of a sudden these sexual feelings for that community come up. And so I believe the way redemption and sanctification works in my life and in the life of Christians that struggle with homosexuality is through learning how to love our same-sex brothers and sisters in friendship the way God meant for it to be. And part of that is splitting up this lust and love that is mixed together. I think when the when the writers of the scriptures say we need to flee from sin, run from lust, and, and I think it, they're talking about running from inherent sin. The, the difficult thing about homosexuality is that, again, the, the very community that we are called to be a part of, called to be, experience, is the very thing that has become sort of lustful to us. And that's the difference between, I would say, um, heterosexual lust and homosexual lust. So as we learn to separate our lust and love for our brothers and sisters of the same sex, we can then live in a healthy, flourishing environment within Christian community. And this takes a lot of work. It's extremely emotionally painful to do that, that splitting up. I think C.S. Lewis poetically describes this feeling, though. This is C.S. Lewis talking or sort of saying what Jesus is saying to us. Give me all of you. I don't want so much of your time, so much of your talents and money, and so much of your work. I want you. All of you. I have not come to torment or frustrate the natural man or woman, but to kill it. No half measures will do. I don't want to only prune a branch here and prune a branch there. Rather, I want the whole tree out. Hand it over to me, the whole outfit. 
all of your desires, all of your wants and wishes and dreams. Turn them all over to me. Give yourself to me and I will make you a new self in my image. Give me yourself and in exchange, I will give you myself. My will shall become your will. My heart shall become your heart. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity. And I love that quote because I think it's describing what those who struggle with homosexuality and, and Christians in general, that's what we deal with when we learn to separate the evil and the good within our lives. That way we can live uh, according to the spirit and walk in the spirit. And so that's the groundwork I'm going to sort of set for today. I'm sure Professor Thomas and I will address some of these topics again as we talk about the four T's. Um, so th- yeah, and let's let's uh, keep going. Hey everybody, I'm here with Professor Tonis. Uh, thanks for being here, Professor Tonis. Uh, yeah, do you want to say anything? Happy to be here, Richard. Good to be here with you. Sweet. We met uh, a couple of years ago playing Ultimate Frisbee. We were on the same team together. That's right. I don't know if you remember that. I do. I do. Um, funny, funny. We were undefeated that season, but we lost the first game in playoffs. I don't. You weren't there, and a lot of people weren't there. But That's why we lost. Yeah. Sure, I wasn't there. <laughs> so that, I just nah. remember, I just remember that season was a bummer. We were so sad. Uh, but yeah, that's when we first met, um, and a couple of months ago, I contacted you and other professors because I wanted to talk to you guys about the four T's yeah. and the church and see what you guys had to say about uh, about that. Yeah. Um, you are a professor of, well, you're a beloved professor here at Biola oh, nice. of, Thank you. of biblical studies. You are a father, a husband, a pastor, and a mentor to a lot of Christians, and so um, a lot of people, I'm sure would love to hear what you have to say about the topic of Christians loving those who struggle with homosexuality. I'm thankful for the opportunity. Yeah, thank you for for being here. uh, I want to talk about some of the the things we have in common. We're both passionate about sharing the gospel. Besides this topic, I love sharing the gospel with non-Christians, like telling them the story of scripture and the covenants. And it's like my favorite thing to do. Mm -hmm. It's cool to see that gospel actually come to life when someone hears the message one one of my coworkers once told me it seems too good to be true mm. and i was like yeah that's yeah that's that's the response the gospel yeah. should have so we're both passionate about that i we're both passionate about the church mm. like loving the church i remember I, I once heard you talk about the bride of christ if if the i'm gonna butcher this hold on <laughs> forget it. i'm gonna skip that it had to do with you comparing the bride of christ to like your wife oh yeah yeah i maybe i Maybe I can say what I think you are remembering. I believe the church, as the bride of Christ, like my wife, needs constructive criticism at times. And I hope people feel free to give my wife constructive criticism. But if they do it in my presence, they need to do it with respect mm-hmm. and for her good, or I won't be happy. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Jesus is the groom of the bride. And so we need to speak truth into the church and bring correction at times, but we need to do it with the kind of love and respect that Jesus would want us to because it's his bride. And I love that. That, that, that was my, that's the tone I want for the four T's is to be a constructive, a constructive encouragement that, Hey, we could actually love those who struggle with homosexuality. It's not a lost cause or anything like that. Right. And, and that's one of the things I've loved about getting to know you, Richard, and just what you're trying to do. There is a positive, encouraging, hopeful tone through all of it. It's so easy in our day to be cynical and negative and pessimistic mm-hmm. and and that's not Christian. It's just not Christian. Christians should be hopeful, joyful, positive people. 
acknowledging all the darkness and difficulty in the world, but realizing Jesus is coming back. Yeah. He's going to make all things new one day. <laughs> yeah. And these are slight momentary afflictions, even though they mm -hmm. don't feel that way to us. Well, yeah. So I, I just, I loved when I first heard that. That was awesome. So yeah, we love the church. We love Biola. I, I came to Biola in my undergrad years. It was the best times of my, my life still. And I, I know there's more to come and all that, mm -hmm. but I like truly love Biola. Mm -hmm. It is a place where I feel like God saved my life and trained me and taught me things I needed to know mm -hmm. in order to be a Christian who struggles with homosexuality. And so I think Biola is one of the best places to struggle with homosexuality and walk through what that means uh, with the counseling center, the professors, just the great friends you can make. It just, I freaking love Biola. It's awesome. That's, that's encouraging to hear. That's certainly our hope and prayer, that this would be a place where people, no matter what it is they're battling, are committed to honoring God with their lives and that this is a helpful environment for them. Yeah, and, and I would even say, as as I shared with my friends who struggled with home, or as I shared with my friends that I struggled with this, I heard so many more sins that people hid because they're embarrassed right. without shame. Right. And so I saw so much opportunity to learn what it means that the Holy Spirit's sanctifying us and wants us to know each other and love each other well. Yeah, and as both a pastor and a prof here at Biola, it's, it's a burden and a privilege to be able to be involved in people's lives in a far more personal way than a lot of people get to. And so I get major glimpses into the battles we're all fighting all the time. Mm -hmm. And the Bible says, no temptation sees you to that, that isn't common to man, but God who's faithful will provide a way of escape. And so we're all in this together, but there's nothing that makes us feel alone more than sin and suffering. When it's never true, we're never alone in our struggles, our sin, our suffering. And I've been working with people long enough to really know that and understand that at a very real level. And I desperately want people in my church, people here at Biola and in my life in general, to realize that we are in all this together. And even though we may all look really shiny showing up for church <laughs> on a Sunday morning, I can stand in front of my congregation, my church family, knowing the battles we're all fighting, whether it's sin or sickness, uh, frustration, whatever it is, we're all in this together. Yeah, and I think that's where I, I, I feel blessed. I, under, I understood that right away. And so I've never felt, I've ex experienced a lot of loneliness and all that, but I've had more friends in my life than a lot of other Christians who struggle with this hmm. because I realize I have to be open about this yeah. so I can be loved yeah. well. Um, and it's not easy still, but... Right, and I, I love that you're a great example and a leader in honesty about the sin struggles we all battle in all different ways, helping people to acknowledge that and start to move ahead. Because Satan wants nothing more than to divide and conquer, to get us to hide. Yeah, My kids have great worship music, and one of the songs that is my favorite probably has a line that says, Jesus died so I don't have to hide anymore. And you think of Adam and Eve covering themselves with this pitiful effort of leaves yeah. in the garden. And then God offers a sacrifice and provides skins as a foreshadowing of the sacrifice to come in Christ. And in our pitiful efforts to cover ourselves are just that, they're pitiful. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of fleeing to God, we're, we're trying to cover our shame and our guilt yeah. and our nakedness. Instead of depending on Jesus for that and realizing we don't have to 
go through all of these maneuvers to constantly position ourselves in front of others as not actually as sinful and struggling as we really are. And at the same time as righteous and forgiven as we really are. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the crazy thing about the gospel, that we're sinners and saints at the same time. And we can live out of that reality with a healthy sorrow for sin and true repentance, but never despair, never yeah. needing to hide from others or God as if that's even possible. And that's the message I want those who struggle with homosexuality and, and also for Christians who want to walk alongside those who struggle with this is that we're, there's a lot of shame with this sin. Yeah. And I want them to know we don't have to feel so much shame. Right, and that's what I appreciate. So the gospel's at the core of the four T's. You think of every one of them. If you really get the gospel, those realities will express themselves. We, yeah. we won't be so uh, trapped in our insecurities that we can't do that. Yeah, and I guess this would this is exactly what could, if you could read this. This was an email I got from a student um, who's a Christian who struggles with this, and I think what we're talking about is what he is trying to yeah. navigate through. Yeah, good. Yeah, it says, Dear Richard, hey, I just stumbled across your blog and read a couple of your posts. As a college student who also struggles with homosexuality, I'm really thankful for your honesty and transparency. I've read a number of blogs, watched tons of videos, and listened to some podcasts, but your blog is the first I've seen to present such a unique solution to helping SSA guys in the church. I've never considered that it's actually all right, even biblical, to seek affirmation and affection from another man, especially physically. I've always distanced myself from any situation that would involve physical intimacy with other men for fear of intensifying my homosexual desires and adding another scenario for me to later sexualize and fantasize over. My, my greatest desire has always been to just be one of the bros, to engage in physical and emotional intimacy in non-sexual ways. Reading your blog has really encouraged me that my desire could become a reality. That being said, if you're willing to respond, I had a few questions regarding this viewpoint in your thought process. Do you find yourself only seeking help from guys who you consider attractive? Would you ever ask for a hug from an unattractive man? Why or why not? Would you ever seek confirmation from a man who also struggles with homosexuality? Why or why not? How do you not sexualize, fantasize about physical closeness with other guys? Does it get easier the more you do it? Do you ask God for help? Do you ever feel convicted about your interactions with other men? Do you ever feel like you went too far with someone? Yeah. I'm not going to specifically answer those yeah. questions, but I think we'll address them as we talk about yeah, the okay. Good. But I think this student is dealing with that, like yeah. understanding, hey, there's some really good freedoms I get to experience as a Christian, a part of the body of Christ being redeemed. At the same time, when the sin's so wrapped around that, it's it's very confusing, especially for like an 18-year-old. I, When I was 20, I didn't understand a lot of this stuff. And I'm, I'm getting to understand a lot more now, but I'm 29. Yeah. But like I can't imagine, I would hate to be, go back to the 18 year old self because it was such a painful time. Because yeah. I just didn't understand what was going on. Right. Um, right. So I hope the four T's can sort of help those who struggle with this put words to their experience and for yeah. Christians to understand what we're going through and how they can meet the needs of someone who struggles with this. Yeah. As I was reading through this dear brother's email to you, it I was struck by how many different issues you could easily apply his same battle to. Mm-hmm. So, uh, actually, one of my areas of interest as a theologian is areas where we have a gift from God that are particularly difficult for us to steward well, enjoy well, to his glory and for the good of others. Things that quickly 
go down the tubes in the gutter. Like, yeah. like one of my areas of interest is humor. I've probably sinned in the name of humor more than any other way in my life. Another is food. Right? Yeah. <laughs> food is a big interest of mine. Yeah. Food is a wonderful gift from God. Yeah. So quickly becomes an idol to us that we abuse and that we we see as an end in itself instead of a means to glorify God. A, a play and sport and recreation, another yeah. area that quickly becomes so horribly self-exalting and pride-inducing and even abusive to people. So emotions in general is an area that I'm fascinated by because emotions so get us in trouble. Mm-hmm. And and we would think, well, if I could just be more like Mr. Spock or a Vulcan, he was even half human, right? <laughs> but not Star Trek. But and, and so the tendency we have is to see a gift from God that is very hard for us to steward well and think, well, life would be better without it. The early church father Origen, because he so struggled with sexual sin, castrated himself. Oh, jeez thinking that would be the best solution. And that's an extreme version of what Christians have done through the centuries. We think, well, if we just somehow did away with sexual desires and temptations, and it, it would be better if we were all asexual. And, yeah, yeah. and if I could just get rid of these stinking hormones, everything would be fine. But we can do that to everything, every gift. We could say, well, I'm going to be an extreme faster because food's out of control, or I'm not going to enjoy earthly pleasures at all because because they get me in trouble so fast, or I'm just going to be a stoic, and I'm not going to experience emotions. And instead of seeking to redeem the gifts God's given us, mm-hmm. we think it's better without them. Yeah. Or, yeah. or we go to the other extreme and say, well, who cares? I can't, I can't manage these things well, so I'm not even going to try. And yeah, a very interesting thing that's been going on is when people are going over my content they don't understand how to deal with the paradox of what I'm talking about, which yeah. is... and well, So we can talk about touch, but... I want to first stick to that. Um, that some guys struggle with this are like I don't. I'm so afraid of lusting that I'm not going to involve myself in any Christian male community because I don't want to lust. Yeah, yeah. And I've there was even a a, a professor's child here who st- who struggled with this, and that person decided not to live in the dorms because he didn't want to struggle with lust. And I was like, you made like one of the biggest mistakes because mm. the dorms are a perfect place for you to deal with all of this yeah. to to in that community, and it's going to be hard. But yeah, it's like he just avoided, avoided that. Yeah, and yeah. I get it. I understand. Yeah. But I think that's a wrong idea of how to deal with. It can be. You know, I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to determine for someone the way they need to navigate things. Now, if it's a friend, I may try to really understand. But for instance, there there are times in my life that I think it's wise for me to stay away from certain things because I'm particularly tempted in mm-hmm. an area, right? So I think it is wise to fast from the internet if it's dominating too much of your time. Uh, I think it's wise for an alcoholic to avoid bars, right? So so in maybe in an ideal world, I can engage my battles head on without any stop gaps in place. But I also want to acknowledge reality that there is an idea of a weaker brother, and yeah. in some ways we're all the weaker brother. So I hear what you're saying. It'd be, it'd be great if you could walk right into your challenges and face them head on yeah. in the most direct way. But wisdom, I think, at, at times would say, no, don't, don't have a false sense of your own strength. And sometimes make wise decisions that 
will keep you from failure if that's where you are. I think one of the biggest mistakes we can make is minimizing our weakness. And so I hear what you're saying and I completely appreciate the desire to put ourselves in the place of challenge and not go the ascetic route where we just remove all the challenges from us. That's not yeah. that's not redemption. That's not working out our faith with fear and trembling. But I think for each person, we need to decide what's wise and what will keep us from sin and at the same time, not remove us from the very challenges God wants us to go through. Sure, yeah. And that, we'll see how this plays out because I, I, we do, I think, see things a little differently. Because right, yeah. the, other, the other thing I've been concerned about is when Christians meet someone who struggles with this, they think, oh, I know how to help them by not dressing in front of them, not including them in the normal routine that, say, that person belongs yeah, to. Yeah. And so all of a sudden now they become isolated, and, the, and that's when I think the topics of loneliness come up. Yeah, and but... So, like, one, right. of my, one of the very interesting things I hear is from, from sh- sh- males who are heterosexual, they'll say, like, yeah, God didn't... I wasn't made to be alone, so I need a spouse. I'm like, that's interesting. Okay. But then it almost feels like a lot of heterosexual males put me in a place where I'm just alone with God. Yeah. Because, because yeah. it's like, oh, well, we don't want Richard to lust or any of this stuff. And so it's just very... It's a very interesting... Yeah, but balance. don't you think that's where... Well, we'll, Just, we'll, all right, good, we'll get good. into it. We're gonna we'll, right. because then I think that's a good. It's gonna come up okay. in all the teas right now. Um, well, let me just say this though. I, I don't think what you just said is as complicated as it needs as it often is. Don't you think that can be solved by just saying, "Hey, Richard, is this a tr- tr- challenge for you if I do this, or is it okay?" That where we have honest communication and get past those uncertainties and, and move ahead. You would think so, but that's <laughs> not the case. And, and that happened a lot in the dorms. Like people wouldn't change in front of me. Yeah. And it was interesting. It, it didn't really affect me, but some some guys, I was going to bring this up later. So, like, the a very, I would say a very lustful place for me is playing sports. The reason why is because I have this idea of I want to be this particular man or person. Yeah. And so I start lusting after that person. And they're fully clothed. We're playing a sport. But all of a sudden, I, like, sexually, I feel these feelings come out of me sure. during that context. So if someone's going to apply that, hey, Richard, like, I, you shouldn't be in a place where you're lusting or something. I can't play any sports anymore. Right. And that and it sounds really weird to say this. I could see a hundred men naked and that doesn't affect me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if I play sure. sports, I have to really guard my heart. Sure. Sure. And so I, that's why I think it just I guess it is a situational issue. Yeah, it's funny. I find my my wife very attractive when I see her praying with someone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. And so you're right. We can have a simplistic view of what what brings attraction out, and then can, that which can lead to lust. But um, yeah, that, that's yeah. helpful. So, yeah. so yeah, I, I wish it was that easy of someone just asking me, but that's just not the case. And I think there's a lot of fears there that come up. And so yeah, well let's let's talk about touch. Uh, how because touch is a really big part of humans, humanity, yeah. and I think even when it comes to sex, like you experience great touch during that event or whatever you want to call it and in our culture where everything's about sex i guess or that's sort of the pinnacle of intimacy right now it for someone who shows a homosexuality we have to sort of navigate okay i'm not going to experience that with the same sex but i do long for this physical closeness or touch yeah yeah and so first i want to start off with like well what's what are some healthy ways we've experienced touch if you would want to share sort of if you could remember like how touch was growing up and then now you're married and you have kids like what has touch meant to you as a male throughout your life 
Yeah, so I think it's important to consider culture and personality mm-hmm. and so many different factors come into play. Some cultures and personality types and families, just the, the, the culture itself within those things is very physical, very uh, physically affectionate, expressive. Yeah. Others not so much. And so I think we need to be sensitive to those things and be aware of differences people feel and experience. But at the same time, acknowledge that a Christian view of reality includes the physical, mm-hmm. which God declares very good along with everything else. And so I think that's where, where our understanding of physical touch among humans needs to start, with a good Christian view of creation and humanity that affirms emphatically the body, the physical, the sensual. It grieves me that sensuality has become, in most people's minds, just sex and negative things, right? So Christians should be the most sensual people there are <laughs> in the sense of we realize the senses were created by God, Yeah. that that which we perceive with our senses is created by God as gifts to us. Just think about taste buds or nerve endings. Yeah. It's just astounding what God has made. He's so good to us. He's so <laughs> kind to us. And yes, we get so quickly idolatrous and, yeah. and think these things we experience with our senses are an end in themselves. And look at all of this sexual abuse and, and um, these, these sexual assault charges yeah. coming up against all these these men who are successful and seem so confident and seem so together and they've got the whole world, they've got millions in careers, but there's obviously something very empty and bankrupt inside of them mm-hmm. that they're manipulating their relationships with women that they think they can take advantage of. So, so they're terribly messed up in the midst of all this superficial success and they long for for, I think, a kind of intimacy God created them for, but yeah. it's so perverted. And you, you have to wonder if a culture that doesn't have a healthy place for physical uh, touch that's healthy and encouraging in a consistent way, it grieves me deeply how sexualized our cultures become. Yeah, and I actually want to say, sociologists have talked about males in touch and basically what they've written about, and one of them is called, the, uh, there's a, a book I call, uh, it's one of my favorite books, it's called The Buddy System, written by Jeffrey Grief, he's a, he's a sociology of, uh, like, gender or something mm. like that, um, and he just talks about, or he, he does a, a historical narrative of males in America saying that when the sexual re- revolution happened, and specifically when sort of the gay movement happened, males didn't want to be associated with homosexuality, and so they've they physically uh, disconnected from each other. Yeah. They're less touchy. They're less yeah, yeah. emotionally close For to each sure. other because they don't want to be identified as something. And so, but at one point, men were very, very touchy. And then <laughs> I'm gonna bring one more book out. Another book, and this is written. And this is actually written by a gay professor from Cal State Fullerton. I, I was able to meet with him. A century of a century of male relationships. And these are all what he would argue heterosexual men just being very physical with each mm-hmm. other, taking interesting pictures that we don't <laughs> we do not do this. Yeah, yeah, so it, all that is saying, there's a point where men need touch from each other, yeah. but when all of a sudden that's taken away, it's like, it's still a need there. How is it going to be met? Yeah, it, it grieves me that, that just in general how sexualized our culture is, and then the way homosexuality has 
brought a an awareness of how things can get distorted to the point where there's just a general aversion to physical touch as potentially problematic or dangerous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually grieved over the effect that this this revelation that we're having of how much sexual predatory behavior among men and taking advantage of women and being oppressive and demeaning to women will then have a backlash where affection between men and women even will diminish yeah. in a healthy, non-sexual, non-romantic way because there's a fear now of putting your hand on a friend's shoulder of the opposite sex Mm-hmm. for fear that it'll be perceived as taking advantage of someone. And so there'll be a, a withdrawal. And and it's so complicated because yeah. you do want to have propriety and you do want to communicate clearly what that touch meant. But at some point, it gets so tragically distorted and you say, I know my hand is on your shoulder and I mean nothing by it, right? And it'll just sort of rob. Well, yeah. Well, so that's why, I guess that's why the 4T, I'm going to talk about touch because I see the goodness of it. Yeah. And, and it was interesting when, when I realized I needed touch in my life, it was, it was because I wouldn't allow people to touch me for a while because I didn't understand what touch meant to me. Yeah. I wanted it so bad that I'm like, oh, it must be a gay thing in me or something. Yeah, yeah. But when a buddy of mine would hug me and I pushed him away, once he responded saying, Richard, that really hurts when you do that to me because I show love through physical affection. And he was a very physical, affectionate yeah. guy. He was, he did a bunch of sports teams and I'm realizing People in sports teams are very physical with each other. And so I realized, like, oh, man, I need to accept that because it's something I want, first of all, but I was so afraid to accept the goodness of it yeah. because of all these complexities that we're talking about of what American males experience with touch, especially with yeah. homosexuality. Right, right. And so, and this friend knew, this friend, I was attracted to him. He knew about that. And it was remarkable to me that he was so comfortable still wanting to offer touch to me. And a lot of guys who struggle with this are, they, they're so afraid to ask for a touch. And yeah, it's such a good thing. And <laughs> We're so, just so messed up, man. I, <laughs> it's funny, though, because I get into some environments. Like, if you watch people interact in, in the whole entertainment industry, they're hugging and kissing all yeah. the time. And it's almost this fake thing. It, like, I don't know if you saw a while back, Jerry Seinfeld was at some event, and he was being interviewed. Did you see this? I don't really like Seinfeld. him, so I don't, well, I don't, well, he's I don't great. keep he, up with him. He's brilliant. But, <laughs> so he's at this event, and this singer, Kesha, oh, I have seen comes it. up to him and says, Jerry Seinfeld, can I have a hug? And he says, no. Yeah. And she's really that. put off, and three times she tries to get a hug for Jerry Seinfeld, <laughs> and he just says no. And she gets walks away all sad, and the interviewer says, you know, that was Kesha. He said, oh, I didn't know who it was. I'm sure she's a nice person, but I don't know her. I don't hug people I don't know. So you can go to the other extreme, too, where everybody's huggy, kissy all the time. And it doesn't really mean anything. It's just this weird, we're all so uh, affectionate when we really don't even know each other. Yeah. And and then these people end up taking advantage of each other. So, so yeah, it, it it's all so distorted, like everything else sinful people try to do well but man in the church we need to do well don't we we need to actually obey the bible the bible says greet one another with a holy kiss yeah i and always I, joke with my guy friends like hey why don't we start <laughs> right and, and it's not because i want anything it's just it's funny because I, I know how awkward touch is sure, between us sure and obviously we need to find culturally and particular relationship of um appropriate ways to mm-hmm. express these things 
But there should be a level of affection that finds expression physically among God's people. I think that's what Greet One Another with Holy Kiss is about. It's have a kind of affection for one another that shows up even when you greet each other. Yeah. Because you're family, you're brothers and sisters, and you're mothers and fathers in the faith. And, and so that should have a, a brotherly affection that shows up in a physical way. And you even think of Paul leaving the Ephesian elders in Acts 20 at the end of that chapter. It's astounding because he tells them all kinds of stuff, including from among your own group, wolves will rise and tear at the sheep. And so guard yourself. I mean, he blasts them and encourages them and exhorts them. But then it says at the end, and what grieved them most is that he said they would never see him again. And then the scene ends by them literally in Greek falling on each other's necks mm -hmm. and weeping and yeah. hitting their knees on the beach there in Miletus and praying together. There was an affectionate expression of their love and their sorrow that they wouldn't see him again. So so there really should be that. And it's tragic and sad that how sexualized and unhealthy th things are in our culture that, that we're understandably on guard with these things because... <laughs> Your whole reputation could be ruined if someone perceives a touch in a wrong way. Yeah. Right? And so so we need to be careful and wise in the midst of wanting to be faithful to the kind of affectionate relationship and expression God's called us to. Can we read, well, can we read uh, that one quote? Uh, the yeah. Yeah. Tim Timmerman. Many men who have high same-sex needs eventually decide being in the gay lifestyle, quote, being in the gay lifestyle is better than being in the church because in the gay life, you go to a bar and everyone hugs and kisses you. You go to a church, you don't get hugged and kissed anymore. Some of them, the more artistic, the more politically astute, or maybe the more sensitive ones will do it. Christians are talking heads or praying heads. They can't get down to where you really need them to be. Your skin is, in your, your, skin is your largest organ in your body, and they're afraid of it. They're afraid to touch. They're afraid to love. They're afraid to sacrifice, afraid to get messy. Oh my God, what do you mean it's going to take 10 years for you to get better? I don't have that kind of time. So the gay life appears to be a whole lot more love, acceptance, and laughter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I would even say, because I do valet, I work in Hollywood a yeah. lot. You go to a gay club, it's crazy. They're, and they're, they're, they are jokingly touching each other, but there's so much touch going on. Mm -hmm. And like I get jealous when I would when I used to see that because it's like I just want to be hugged and mm -hmm. but I also have friends who are like that now and I've accepted that and it's still hard for me to accept it, but I I just think touch is just so yeah as we're talking it's just so good, and I think a lot of Christians who struggle with homosexuality that's just something we long for they they don't want and I, even when I talk to those who are gay affirming when I ask them like what what is it that you want I just want a, a boyfriend yeah. or a girlfriend that I could cuddle with yeah. like just simple things of. That I'm thinking, oh, you just, you want touch. Like, you could have a lot of these things without it being a gay relationship. But I think we have to foster a healthy... Yeah, and... It's it's hard, though. It, yeah, it's and hard the idea, right now. But the ideal is for it to start in the home and the family. Mm -hmm. I, I have two daughters and two sons, and I hug and kiss them equally. And and I I love that. And, and I think, I and I pray and hope that my daughters and sons are growing up with a very healthy sense of physical affection from, from their mom, from their dad. I'm, I'm hoping someday they show it to each other. <laughs> a little other bit, than, but, right. Yeah, but, wrestling. Yeah, right, right. So, but, 
Yeah, and I love that both of my boys, as well as my as my girls, are are very affectionate, and they love, and and they don't seem to avoid it in public. You mm-hmm. know, my my sons and daughters will hold my hand when we're walking somewhere, and it's been interesting to go to other countries and see same sex affection that isn't weird at all for people. Yeah. Even holding hands in India where I've been or France and between men and women and and there isn't a weirdness to it that there seems to be in our society. Yeah. Well we'll move on because we could touch we could talk again, we could talk about touch for hours and that's why it's one of the, the four T's it's just it's such a good thing but a very complex thing. Yeah, right and now. let me just say you asked me about my own experience, which I haven't really mentioned yet, but my family, my, my my family are from Germany and Eastern Europe, which aren't known as very expressive, emotional, <laughs> or, or physically affectionate people. So, so that's sort of the background. I have never felt like I had much of a personal space bubble, okay. and I, I've joked that I feel like an Italian trapped in a German body. <laughs> in that, I, I've I've always found it fairly easy to be expressive emotionally okay. and physically. And I've never, I, I've always enjoyed physical touch. And you played in sports, right? I did, yeah. Yeah, and I'll tell you, it's been amazing. So the way sports can facilitate uh-huh. touch is so, I'll never forget one time I played in a flag football league in Chicago, very competitive, intense, mostly professionals. And I will never forget the first day I showed up. And this team had already been playing, I think they had played three games. And then a friend of mine picked me up to play in this team. And there was a sort of that aloof guy, hey, what's up, kind of thing yeah. when I got there. And they're like, all right, Rick says he's good, but we'll see, sort <laughs> of thing. And I will never forget that uh, I caught the winning touchdown in this game. And these lawyers, one guy was a district attorney, a lawyer, construction workers. These guys are hugging me. Oh, and that's so cool. Picking me up. Yeah. 45 minutes after I met him, yeah. we had achieved a level of physical touch that probably would have never happened in real life. Yeah. If, you know, it would have taken years, if ever, to give each other hugs in that sort of way. But that environment facilitated a level of camaraderie mm-hmm. that so naturally lev- led to touching so When I watch soccer, that's what happened. You know, they score a goal, they're all hugging and kissing each other. I'm just like, I just want to be with them celebrating. <laughs> the, the one fear that a lot of men have, though, when they do offer this touch to someone who struggles with homosexuality is, will they be turned on by this? Mm. And that is a, a difficult discussion. And I would say when that was first happening to me, that would happen. And I would t- I would tell my guy friends, like, hey, like, like one of my guy friends would want to wrestle with me. And one day he did that. And I wasn't, you know, I'm walking to class or whatever, and he just wants to start wrestling randomly. And I would get so, it's this is really weird to say, but it's reality. I would get so excited because I'm feeling this love for my brother. Sure. But my body... And I, I went through sexual abuse as a kid, so there's a lot there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so my body, only for a while, only knew how to experience same-sex touch in a sexual way. That when someone offered to, it to me in a platonic way, I didn't know. My body was like, well, how am I supposed to experience this? Because it was such, my body's only experienced it in a sexual way. And yeah, so for a couple yeah, yeah. of years, it was hard for me to accept, hey, like, this is something I got to change. It's healthy. It's good. But I, sometimes I'll be honest with my friends, like, hey, I can't, Yeah. just not right now, it's well, not good. good. Yeah. And, and so, but I think that's a part of that, and and not, to, and I hope Christians who want to offer touch to those who struggle with this don't fear that, or if, uh, there's going to be a fear, but they don't think, 
hey, you know, I'm just not, not going to do that because I don't want nothing to happen. And I hope they see it as more like, oh, I got to walk through this with them and sort of train them in a way of like, hey, we're bros. We could do this. We're, we could hug each other. We could, I don't know, what. however people want to express yeah. touch. I just don't want them to pull away because of those yeah, experiences. Yeah, right, right. It, it, that's why we just need to stay committed to each other and communicate clearly mm-hmm. and honestly. So, I mean, you had with your friends a baseline of honesty that you could then build on and grow out of that made that so great. And and we are, we're all in this together. We So anything can become an idol. Anything can become unhealthy. When I walk out of a class after teaching theology, I will have a conversation with the Lord and say, Lord, was that pleasing to you? Was, was that all about myself? Huh. Yeah. Was, was that spirit-led or was that just the flesh? Was that about honoring you or exalting myself? The students seem to respond well, but did you like it, right? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. so even teaching a class in theology can get shipwrecked because of the state of my heart and what's going on there. And so I need to talk to the Lord about that. I need to have honest friends in my life. So my friend Dave Talon and I meet often, and one of the questions he started asking years ago was, Eric, is there anything in your life that you're getting too much life from hmm. instead of God? Yeah. And so, And that can be anything. That can be... Uh, the the best gifts from God, it could be marriage, it could be children, it could be a, a job, whatever it is that is a gift. And we just run it into the gutter so quickly. Well, that could be, that would, that's a good transition yeah. to the next T, which is time. Like uh. How we spend time now. Because another thing is, a lot of us who struggle with this, we, we're so needy for time. Like, we yeah. want to hang out with friends all the time. We're very, we're so, I wouldn't even say extroverted, but it almost seems like we are because we, we long for time. And as Americans... Time is super valuable to us because of how we live our life. And this is where I sort of tie in how is marriage being done in the church because, and, and, and in our society, marriage or the romantic relationship is like the pinnacle right now. The reason why I think the gay community wants the term marriage is because this idea of marriage means I'm totally loved, I'm totally valued by someone. Like, my, all my time goes to that person. The jokes are, yeah, when they get married, we lost our friends. Like, yeah. you hear this we hear this like very secluded idea of, of community in regards to marriage and friendship. And I think that also hurts the Christian church. If marriage is the only, only um, relationship that's given the most time or, you know, whatever. And so I, at least that's how I see it. And, and it's just been very interesting because this has been a very challenging topic for me and some of my friends, as we talk about my views of how time should be spent um, within a Christian community. Yeah, I don't, I'm not sure if you agree with that, or, but that's been a yeah. very interesting topic. I think Russell Hill brings that up in some of the things he's talking about. Obviously, spending time together, not just time, but time well invested, doesn't, doesn't mean you don't need qu- quantity of time. But you can spend lots of time with someone and it's meaningless, mm-hmm. whether it's in a group or individually. So I think we need to think about spending time intentionally, wisely, in a meaningful way where we're getting beyond the surface. We're really good at surface stuff, talking about the weather and the Lakers, instead of, <laughs> hey, how you doing? What's going on in your life that I can pray for you about? What are you learning from the Word? Uh, are there any sins you're struggling with that we're honest with each other and get mm-hmm. to depth in our relationship? So I think investing wisely and not being satisfied with superficial is really important. But time, there's no replacement for it. And like you said, in this culture... We're busy people. I mean, everybody says, oh, I'm so busy all the time. And remember when I moved to L.A., 
I have a friend who had been living here for a while. And I said, so Chris, who do you hang out with? And he laughed. And he said, ah, oh, people in L.A. don't hang out. Because when you say hang out, you imagine sitting on a front porch just with no agenda. You're just sitting there watching people walk by and just talking about what's coming to mind. And, and hanging out in a way where there's time to be a little bit bored that leads to a conversation that's meaningful you hadn't planned on. That's why hiking, sitting around a campfire, playing sports, mm -hmm. doing ministry together, that then allows for lingering after lunch when you're on a trip to Mexico and and they're taking their siesta and you're just sitting around talking. And <laughs> it, th those things are good. And I do think we can overemphasize time spent simply over coffee when some of the most meaningful time I've spent with people is on a work project at church. Mm -hmm shoulder to shoulder, not just face to face, which is part of the camaraderie of sports we talked about. I mean, who's tighter than soldiers who've gone to war together yeah. and had a common enemy, had a common mission? And so I think the shoulder to shoulder time is lost very often when we think about time together. And we do have limited time. I've got four kids that desperately need my time, a wife who needs time, a church. So Time is my greatest need, I, I, my greatest lack these days. And yeah. So you've got to make really tough decisions about what, what to invest your time into. And sometimes you need to say no to really great things for better things. Mm -hmm. And so I think, having said that, we need to be realistic about all the four T's. Yeah. That, and that, that's an area I know you and I have talked about. I, I call my students these days the disappointment generation. Because they seem to be so disappointed in most things, most relationships, most meals, most they go on Yelp and bash the latest thing they've experienced because they're consumers and they have an entitlement mentality. And we can have really overly idealistic expectations for relationships, for all these things. It's not to say we don't long for these things experienced with a degree of depth and intimacy whether whichever the things we're talking about, but to have a realistic, honest assessment of life and be grateful for what we are able to experience or else we could be constantly disappointed. Yeah. Right. And, and I found, you know what? Every relationship I have has disappointment in it. Everyone, every church you're going to go to is going to disappoint you. Every marriage has disappointment. Every, even the best relationships. Mm -hmm. Why? Because we're not home yet. We're not in heaven yet. And Lewis, you read this great Lewis quote in the beginning. Lewis talks a lot about this sansuch, this longing. Yeah. And my longing here deepens my longing for heaven, for getting home one day. And so to live in this tension between ideals, longing now for what we're created for and not settling for this, this resigned, well, it's never going to be... And so I love that you're calling us, calling the church to seek intimacy, relationship, joy in knowing one another. But at the same time, I would want to make sure that we're realistic, that we're not home yet. It's the now and not yet that's yeah, yeah. so important in Christian theology, that we want to experience kingdom realities now that invade our relationships. But we're not home yet. Mm -hmm. And so they're always going to be disappointing. They're, they're always going to leave us feeling unfulfilled. So that's why if there are the end for us, we're in big trouble. God's the only true end. Mm -hmm. And 
uh, the this book, the buddy system. He he's talking about right now how American males we experience the most depression um, when it comes yeah. to depression. American yeah. males are the loneliest people. <laughs> And he says, oh, but what's Mo- the most suicide? Yeah, the most suicide. Yeah, it's so, yeah. It, it makes me sad. And then for LGBTQ males as well, they even go higher. Sure. And so, but again, I, that's what I'm asking the question. Like, why is this happening, though? And that's when I bring it. Well, where is our time being spent? And then, and then on top of that, and it, it gets so complicated. On top of that, as Christians, we're still called to preach the gospel. How are we going to make disciples when... We don't even have the time to make new disciples. Yeah. Man, I which feel I'm that all, all about. The time. Yeah. I, I, I actually have started to think that the number one obstacle to evangelism is we simply don't have the margin in our days to have that conversation with that guy at Starbucks who asked why we're reading our Bible, mm-hmm. sitting there at Starbucks. And I know I got to head to my next meeting in 10 minutes, so I have nothing but a soundbite for him. Yeah. And I do, even in my own life, do I have the margin in each day of my life to linger in a conversation with someone and spend time with them? So I just finished a book project I was working on. And for the first time in a long time, I felt some freedom. And I felt like I had a bit of discretionary time. I dropped my car off at my mechanic and I started a conversation with a guy there. And it was great. And we talked about 15 minutes. And then... He, he had a go, and my mechanic says to one of his other mechanics, hey, this guy needs a ride home. And oh, I, yeah. And I yeah, said, okay. I'll give him a ride home. And I did. Yeah. And I said, hey, I'll just take him. I'll go out of my way. I've got an extra 20 minutes. <laughs> and I did, and it was great. We had a great conversation because for, for this little window, I felt like, hey, I've got a little bit of time. I don't have to run to the next thing. Mm-hmm. And so I, I do think over-planning limits the the kind of meaningful time we can spend with people. Now, what's funny about that is that means saying no to spending time with other people. Mm-hmm. So you've got to be... It's hard, yeah. Well, yeah. And so, well, yeah. Uh, or, or it should mean saying no to immersing myself in fantasy football statistics, <laughs> which I don't actually do, but but a lot of guys do. Come on, how, how helpful is that really? It's amazing yeah. the things we waste our time on. <laughs> Instead of diving into things that have well, lasting, so impact. there has been a very interesting thing is, is a lot of so guys who struggle homosexuality and 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 females as well. Like I'm sure you've heard, there's a lot of loneliness there. Yeah. And so first we could question why do they feel lonely? Like are they being proactive with their own life? But a common story which a lot of like even Wesley talks about it in his book is when, like we seek the the inclusion from heterosexual males. We want to belong to the team, if you will heterosexual males in general have also their goals and one of them is a romantic relationship and so sometimes it's hard to for us to know how to balance that hey they're going to pursue marriage which is great but it's there's this tension of like well when are we allowed in a healthy way to ask for time yeah and that's yeah yeah, yeah. there's a common story with a lot of especially men who struggle with this we end up losing certain friendships because we don't know how to navigate that with them. And yet, it almost feels like we're put, we're put, we're put on the back burner. And the yeah. four T's can't even really happen if there's not time given either. So yeah. it, it's just a very... That's something I like to bring up a lot because it's so important. And it is a very common story. And, yeah. yeah. And so I'm happy. I'm blessed to live with my friend Jeremy and his wife, Lindsay, because they hear this. Yeah. We talk about it. And like last night, we went to Disneyland together. 
and they we spent it's cool that they've included me a lot more in their that's beautiful marriage than most of my other friends but that and a lot of guys who follow me on social media are always they they have they've messaged messaged me like oh you're so lucky to have friends who have given that time to you who include you in their life but it's it's definitely been a lot of conversations for that to even happen right yeah i have a friend who um has same-sex attraction and a family go he goes on vacation with them yeah that's cool yeah and they know that and they welcome him in and it, it is it is a tough thing to know how to incorporate people into your life but we need to be that more that way isn't that what hospitality is for a christian christians are called to be hospitable people which means we're not so overly protective of our little family mm-hmm. that we don't recognize we have a broader family in the church and that it's not a threat to family time Yeah, when you have a brother or sister there with you or two or five they're mm-hmm. with you at the dinner table on vacation doing things together and that's why I think the local church is the ideal place for these things to happen because you are shoulder to shoulder there life is just bringing you together you don't constantly need to pencil in time because your life as being part of this local church family brings you together by doing stuff yeah Yeah. on sunday and serving together on being involved in ministry and and so local church is the ideal place for this to happen that's why my kids feel just as home at church as they do at home and sometimes it's a problem because they run on the furniture and, (laughs) and and run around get all sweaty like they're home but but and that's how we need to be that our church family isn't competition with our family yeah that we, we are family and christians have had to walk away from their their earthly family lots through the history of the church because of persecution and being disowned and then the local church had to become their true yeah. family that's why jesus says who are my mother and brothers and sisters it's those who do the will of the lord i knew someone i knew someone who wouldn't become a christian because he came from a jewish family and he was afraid if he yeah. became a Christian, he was going to be disowned. And he would, probably. Yeah. yeah. And so it was like, he, and sadly, he didn't become a Christian because of that. And I was, it just, stuff yeah. like that just reminds me, like, man, like, yeah. So. I know a man in India who's a pastor who led, he and his wife led this young lady to Christ, knowing that when they baptized her, her Hindu family would disown her, mm-hmm. which meant they were now her parents. Yeah. And wow. she now lived with them and was family in the truest sense. And wouldn't it be great? If when someone fears being disowned by their family, we could guarantee, I know you will and it'll be painful, but you will have a family mm-hmm. in the family of God in this local church. And that they would have seen that on display, so they trust that. Yeah, and, well, and I think that could happen, so that's why yeah. I'm talking about time. Thank you guys for joining us on this first part of the podcast with Professor Tonis as we talk about the four T's in the church. The second podcast will be coming out pretty soon, and we will talk about transparency, uh, spiritual, emotional, physical transparency. And when we talk about physical transparency, we're going to be address we're going to be addressing specifically what same sex attraction looks like. Uh, we'll be talking about George Clooney because Professor Thomas thinks George Clooney is a good looking guy, and we'll talk about the locker room and the nudity and the camaraderie that takes place all within the locker room and sort of the goodness that is there. And then we'll also be talking about teamwork and how as a Christian community, we need to be a team giving each other grace. And so I hope you guys uh, stay, I hope you guys enjoyed this first part. I hope you guys like the second part and just uh, stay tuned for the next one and uh, see you soon.